Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, here with you for part two of our discussion of Elon Musk's countersuit against Twitter. Now, if you didn't follow us for part one, you should know we went through the 91 pages that actually make up the countersuit. That is yesterday's video. You can check it out here at the thumbnail that looks just like this one, but with a different coloration and different artistic effect applied to Elon Musk's face. And we went through it and pointed out that there were some strengths and there were some weaknesses in that particular case, as you would expect from a client in Elon Musk that is represented by one of the biggest and most well-resourced law firms in the world. Now, as part of the document he filed with the court, it included that countersuit where he made most of his arguments. It also included what we call answers and affirmative defenses. That answer section takes what Twitter actually put forth in their lawsuit and ostensibly answers it, providing the court potentially with a little bit more information about why Elon Musk thinks Twitter is wrong. What we will see in this video, and one of the reasons this is in all likelihood a much shorter video than our walkthrough of the countersuit itself, is that Elon Musk and his team have decided mostly to not answer the specifics of what Twitter has alleged against him. Now, before we get into the details there, I do want to point out to folks, if they don't know, this is a subscriber, user, listener, viewer supported platform. And if you do like what we're doing here in Virtual Legality, please do check out ways to support the channel at Utreon and at Patreon as a YouTube member or otherwise, much like Opal Studded Dagger for many, many months now has done through one of the tiers at Utreon and Patreon that otherwise allow you to sponsor an episode per month. So I want to give special thanks to Opal Studded Dagger for helping making this episode possible. Now, on to 70-some-odd pages of legal documentation, which, I'm going to be frank with you, is going to be a little staid, right? One of the things that Elon Musk's team has done here is that they have kind of unified their responses to all of the allegations put forth by Twitter, and that makes this document a little less fun than I had originally hoped it would be for this video. But... Keep in mind, we actually still have another answer document from Twitter to go through as part of this series where Twitter answers Elon Musk's countersuit, the one we just went through in the prior video, and they're a little bit more willing to actually put forth what we might call debate answers rather than fully legal answers. There's nothing wrong with what Elon Musk has decided to do with this document. It's just not as exciting as it otherwise could be, presumably because he and his attorneys have decided that most of the arguments they're going to make against Twitter have been put forth in that 90-page countersuit rather than in detailed answers as part of their answer document. But we can see how this works. We can talk about process, and we can skip through a lot of Elon Musk's answers because they are going to maintain a certain, let's call it a similarity, uh, between how they are phrased and what Twitter has actually alleged. But we start out here saying, look, we're filing this document. Defendants deny any allegations made in the unnumbered headings. If you tried to sneak something in with a heading or a bullet point, we deny all of that. We further deny each and every allegation set forth in the complaint, except for those allegations expressly and specifically admitted below. So this is how lawyers work. So you start out with the kind of umbrella concept. Hey, if we somehow missed something in all of these individualized paragraph answers, we want you, the court, to know we're denying everything that you don't see affirmatively accepted. Now, that's your first part. That's your belt. We're still going to see suspenders throughout the rest of these answers as one of the most common sentences to end an answer, both in this answer document and in Twitter's, if we're being fair, there is, 
if we have to answer any of this and we otherwise missed it, Your Honor, we deny every allegation that is otherwise put forth in this paragraph. So we start at the beginning, and you'll see this in both this document and eventually when we cover it in the Twitter response document to Elon Musk's countersuit, they are copying over paragraph by paragraph what the lawsuit or the counter lawsuit actually said, and then they're responding to it in a section marked answer. So this verse paragraph is the introduction. In April 2022, Elon Musk entered into a binding merger agreement. Now, less than three months later, Musk refuses to honor his obligations. And we talked about this when we went through the Twitter lawsuit. You can check that out in this very playlist, but it is very uh, rhetorical. It is very much kind of written for public consumption. That's one of the things Elon Musk accuses them of in his counter lawsuit. Nothing wrong with that approach, but you do get a lot of this language of describing things like you're in a movie trailer. So in his answer, defendants admit that Musk did in fact enter into a merger agreement and respectfully refer the court to that agreement for a complete and accurate description of its contents. That's one of those answers that you will see throughout this document. Hey, look, when they quote something, whether it's a tweet that I wrote or a speech that I gave or the merger agreement itself, our main answer is court, don't just take their word for it. Go and look at the document for yourself. Answering further, the remainder of paragraph one asserts legal conclusions and therefore does not require a response. That is going to be their other main answer to virtually every paragraph. Look, Your Honor, we're here in court. We're going to litigate this thing because we have to solve what the legalities of this situation are. So when they say something like, I breached my agreement or I disparaged the company, that's a legal conclusion. That's ultimately what you are here to determine. I don't have to answer that in this format because we're going to clash on that. You can assume that we disagree vehemently about those various things that would give one or the other party liability. We're here to argue those legal points and the process doesn't require me to answer their legal conclusions. Now, Maybe you think I'm wrong on that, Your Honor. Maybe you think there's some kind of fact-based assertion here that I should be answering one way or the other. If you think that, and I just said, I believe these are legal conclusions and I don't need to answer, well, to the extent that you decide that a response was required, defendants deny the allegations set forth in the paragraph. So you've got there the suspenders. I talked about the belt up top. Hey, we deny everything we don't accept. And then in every specific answer, you'll have Elon Musk's team provided that there are any things that could possibly be allegations saying, look, we don't think we need to answer legal conclusions, but if you decide, Your Honor, that we should have answered something, know that we formally deny everything else that might otherwise appear in this paragraph. And that's kind of the standard answer. Look to the document itself, court. These are legal conclusions. And if you don't think they're legal conclusions, we deny everything. And we'll be able to skip a lot of answers and a lot of paragraphs that way because that's their most common response. Next, in the introduction, we see defendants admit that Musk is the chief executive officer of Tesla Inc., opened a Twitter account in 2009, has over 100 million followers, has tweeted more than 18,000 times, and is one of the most followed on Twitter. Defendants lack knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as to the allegations that Musk's presence on the Twitter platform is quote-unquote ubiquitous, and then we deny the remainder of the allegations. So you'll get these kind of partial answers. Hey, look, when they say, I'm the CEO of Tesla... Yep, I'll admit to that. Hey, I've tweeted this many times. I have this many followers. But when you've got characterization, usually what the lawyers will say is something like, we deny the characterization put forth in the paragraph. So we accept the 100 million, we accept the 18,000 times, but we otherwise deny the characterization. Here, you've got this kind of little bit shady version of answering here that says, we don't know. What is is ubiquitous mean, Your Honor? Who could actually say? And so we don't have the information that would be required to provide the court 
with a definition of what it might even mean to be ubiquitous on a platform like Twitter. So you get a little bit of that very light lawyerly snark here, and you'll see it in other instances as well. Uh, we admit that we were offering to buy the company for 54.20. We talk about this particular paragraph. We say the third and fourth sentences assert legal conclusions, so we're not okay with that. But to the extent the rest refers to the documents, you can check those out. And we otherwise deny the entire paragraph, except to admit that the price defendant offered represented a premium over the Twitter share price, right? So look, we're not going to talk about these specifics. These are legal conclusions about whether or not something is seller friendly, whether there's a financing contingency, how diligence works in this concept. But hey, you mentioned that we were offering to pay a pretty penny for Twitter. And yes, again, in that kind of very light, lawyerly, shady way, you say, oh, well, we can admit that, of course, we were going to pay top dollar for this company, and that was a premium that now the Twitter board has put at risk due to its actions, etc., etc. Paragraph 5 purports to character the contents of a Wall Street Journal article, the contents of which speak for itself. We deny everything else. Go check out that article uh, yourself, Your Honor. And then when you get these paragraphs that are pure rhetoric, Musk wants out the disdain he has shown for the company. He's repeatedly disparaged Twitter. Then they just do a very simple deny. Defendants deny the allegations in paragraph six. And now, one or two pages into what is a 70-page answer, you mostly have all of the answers that Elon Musk's team is going to give. They will assort them in different ways. They will put them into different packages. We will be able to drill down and pull some interesting facts out of what they answer here. But for the most part, Elon Musk and his team have decided that they're going to go as vanilla as possible with this answer document. Defendants admit that Mr. Musk tweeted on a date put forth in the paragraph, refer the court to that tweet. Defendants deny the allegations in this paragraph, except to admit that Musk has sought certain information following the signing of the merger agreement pursuant to his rights under Section 6. It's self a legal conclusion of a kind in this answer. You'll also see this. You'll see whenever they accept something, oh, otherwise we do allow for this. We do admit that we asked for this information that Twitter didn't give us. We do admit that Twitter has said that this information isn't sufficient for the purposes that we need it for in order to evaluate this deal. There will be those kinds of light answers again that say, oh yeah, no, we're fully willing to admit that Twitter did this thing wrong or we are these good citizens that we can admit to in context of this answer. We deny that we acted in bad faith throughout this deal. We do admit that we gave a notice of termination on July 8th. We deny everything else. When they characterize these things as pretextual, they say that we are lying, that our complaints that resulted in termination lack merit. We say, hey, those are legal conclusions, and we deny everything else that you think your honor is not a legal conclusion. And then when they say they're entitled to force us to do this deal, hey, that's based on the merger agreement. Again, it's a legal conclusion, and we deny everything else that they would otherwise ascribe to us. Uh, we admit to everything related to the parties. Yeah, Twitter's a Delaware Corp. I'm Elon Musk. My companies are owned by me. In respect of whether or not you have jurisdiction as a court, those are legal conclusions. That's up to you as a court. Delaware Court of Chancery is going to have jurisdiction here, but there's nothing to fight about in this document. And then we get into those factual allegations and we get kind of trying to split these things. So the lawyers aren't asleep here. They aren't just answering or rubber stamping, uh, but it's still not terribly useful. Defendants admit the first sentence, which just says Musk is active on Twitter's platform. Defendants further admit the allegations in paragraph 19 insofar as the percentages and dates are accurate. Hey, we bought this percentage of the company. This rep represented this percentage of the company. Here's what the stock price did, etc., etc. 
Defendants deny knowledge as to the knowledge of Twitter's other shareholders because Twitter's accusing him of doing bad things because he didn't denounce his purchase to the SEC. And they say, hey, other shareholders didn't know about it. One of the things you do is you deny anything you don't have personal knowledge of. So they say, all right, fine, Twitter, but we don't have any idea what the other shareholders do. You'll see other answers that say, hey, when Twitter says their board discussed something, we don't know. And so you'll see that as an answer as well. And then that final sentence, as promised, to the extent there's anything else we were supposed to answer, we deny all the allegations that are put forth. Defendants deny the allegations in the first sentence of paragraph 20, which is interesting here because the first sentence of paragraph 20 only says, on March 26, 2022, Musk spoke with two Twitter directors, Jack Dorsey and Egon Durbin, about the future of social media and the prospect of Musk's joining the Twitter board. So they deny the allegations of that sentence other than in respect to the fact that Musk spoke to Dorsey and Durbin on March 26th. You may think to yourself, what else was even said in that sentence? And the answer is what that discussion was about. So they're admitting to having this discussion on March 26th, but not that it was about the future of social media and the prospect of Musk's joining the Twitter board. Similarly, with respect to the other discussion in this paragraph, defendants admit that Musk had a conversation with Parag Agrawal and Brett Taylor about different options relative to Twitter, but otherwise deny the remainder of the allegations in this paragraph. So what did Twitter actually put forth here? They said Musk told Twitter CEO Agrawal and Twitter board chair Taylor that he had in mind three options relative to Twitter, join its board, take the company private, or start a competitor. So one of the things that gets fleshed out a little bit, reading between the lines of these paragraphs and these answers, is that Elon Musk is not willing to give Twitter the concept that he was talking openly about starting a competitor to their platform with them in these conversations. I'll admit to these meetings, I'll admit to these conversations, but when you try to characterize it as my joining the board, the future of social media, starting a competitor, I'm denying that those things were set. When you then get to the next paragraph where Twitter says, hey, you put out a tweet on March 26th that said you were giving serious thought to building a rival platform, defendants deny the allegations in the paragraph other than to the extent it refers to the language in one of Musk's tweets and refers the court to look at that tweet itself. So again, Elon Musk, a little bit cagey here, doesn't want to be seen as a bad actor, unclean hands, that is essentially collecting data or or otherwise trying to set up Twitter in a negative spot for him to create a competitor that can take advantage of the weakness that he himself would have created in the company. He and his attorneys are wise enough to know that this is a landmine uh, for him and they're answering it very, very specifically. In paragraph uh, 22, defendants lack knowledge of information sufficient to form a belief as to the allegations regarding what the Twitter board discussed. That was in respect of Twitter saying the Twitter board evaluated Musk's candidacy. And he admits that the board offered him a position on April 3rd. He initially accepted it and signed an agreement and that the agreement was announced on April 5th. Those are the starting videos in this playlist if you are so interested. Then Twitter describes him as abruptly changing tack. Defendants admit that Musk determined not to join the board, but otherwise denies the remainder of the allegations. So there you have that kind of characterization concept. Look, I'm willing to say that these things happen, but when you add this rhetoric, I'm forced to put in a sentence that says, I deny all of the rest of the stuff that you added to what happened on these given dates. Uh, Paragraph 24, defendants admit that Musk sent Taylor a text on the given day. They refer the court to that document and we deny all the characterization that goes along with that, right? Reversing course, all this extra language. 
similarly, paragraph 25, we admit the allegations regarding the date on which Musk announced his public offer and that he stated that he could technically afford to purchase Twitter outright. Defendants lack knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as to the capital of most companies because Twitter had characterized his wealth as exceeding the capital of most companies. Now, truth be told, his wealth, as illiquid as it might be stuck in Tesla stock, is probably exceeding the capital of most public companies, but he's fully within his rights to say, hey, look, that's not, I don't know, that's not my knowledge base when we're talking about a legal document. Uh, the Twitter board met to discuss Musk's proposal. He answers, I have no idea uh, what Twitter's board decided to do. Uh, paragraph 27 purports to characterize the terms of the rights plan, uh, which speaks for itself. They were looking at that poison pill concept we covered uh, in this space. And then basically Elon Musk and his team are saying, look, that's again, board conversations we don't know. Here they put up some tweets. They accuse Musk of saying, hey, we're threatening a tender offer with love me tender and blank is the night. Defendants admit that he published those tweets, tells the court to look at the tweets themselves. Defendants admit that by April 20th, Musk had personally committed these amounts in equity financing and that the description of what the financing for this deal was to be was true. Otherwise, doesn't say anything else. He denies the remainder of the allegations, those characterization concepts. He admits the allegations in paragraph 30 to the extent they refer to Musk's filings, respectfully refers the court to those filings for a complete and accurate description of their contents. He lacks knowledge or information to form a belief as to what the transactions committee directed Taylor to do. Again, we have that separation where Twitter is putting forth in these paragraphs how its board was operating in response to Elon Musk. And Elon Musk says, yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh, defendants admit that on April 23rd, 2022, Musk asked to speak with Twitter representatives about his offer, that Musk spoke to Taylor and that Musk stated his offer was best and final, but denies any of the other characterizations that might be included in that paragraph. Again, paragraph 32, we're in the same kind of place. They're describing this early merger agreement section. Hey, I don't know what I don't know with respect to how the Twitter board was operating. And I deny everything else except to admit that certain language regarding hiring and firing was removed from the initial draft. Interestingly, that isn't specifically referenced in this paragraph 32. There is reference to an initial draft uh, being sent over and discussions happening about that draft. This is actually a little bit preemptory because we do know that as part of Twitter's lawsuit, they say that they should be allowed to make changes to their employee base because they had negotiated to not have this language in the ordinary course provision that otherwise prevents them from operating their business differently after the signing of the merger agreement than they did before it. Now, that isn't actually their strongest argument there, as we've talked about in the videos where we talked about Twitter's lawsuit and then with respect to Elon Musk's counter lawsuit, because not having that included in the ordinary course provision doesn't mean that they have the right to do certain things like cut off 30% of certain of their departments. Uh, and so we get into this kind of gray area fight as to what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do with the court looking at these two parties as sophisticated and understanding how to draft a prohibition into the contract. Right? If they are specifically not allowed to do something, you can draft that in. If they're specifically supposed to be allowed to do something, you can draft that in. So when you've got Twitter versus Elon Musk, it's going to be interesting to see what the court ultimately decides on that. Because if you remove what was a provision in the negotiations of this kind of thing, hey, we wanted to prevent you from being able to hire or fire vice presidents or hire, and we got that out of the document, then that's a certain implication that you're supposed to be allowed to do that without my consent. But it's not obvious. Sometimes during the negotiation process in a contract, you say, well, neutrality here, it being blank, is good enough because we can fight about it in court if we needed to do so. And it doesn't give either side 
the ultimate win. And Elon Musk could easily argue that that's what they came up with as part of these negotiations, as he did in his countersuit where he says there's no language on this at all in that ordinary course provision. And I have looked at that provision and I would tend to agree with him. Continuing on, defendants admit the allegations in paragraph 33 to the extent the merger agreement was negotiated overnight and to the extent that they quote from the merger agreement, we'd refer the court to that agreement. And we further state that the remainder of paragraph 33 asserts legal conclusions that do not require a response. If you disagree, we deny all the allegations included in that paragraph. Defendants lack knowledge about what motivated Twitter in its negotiations. Everything else is a legal conclusion, and we deny the allegations. Legal conclusions. Document speaks for itself. Legal conclusions. We deny the allegations. This continues because what Twitter's doing as part of its suit here is talking about the merger agreement. We don't have any knowledge about what the board discussed or why the board approved these measures or what assurances the board believed it needed or received. Everything in this paragraph that says the deal is governed by the merger agreement asserts legal conclusions. It does, but you know I think we can grant that the merger agreement controls uh, most of this stuff. Although Elon Musk is arguing that it was induced by fraud and doesn't really exist and should be rescinded. So I guess it's an acceptable answer. If it purports to characterize the merger agreement, the terms speak for themselves. We'd have the court look at that. Legal conclusions speak for themselves. So even though these are important provisions that Twitter is arguing about, we spent three hours going through their lawsuit. For the most part, Elon Musk and his team, as I mentioned before, are depending on their countersuit to make the kind of more material uh, fact-based claims against what Twitter is saying here. Instead, just saying even when they make a very uh, strong or at least strongly worded argument against him, he's saying, look, it's a legal conclusion. It's part of the merger agreement. We refer the court to that agreement. Go look at that agreement. Legal conclusion. We refer the court. Legal conclusion. All of these kind of answers are the same as these provisions are pulled out. Legal conclusion, we refer to the court. We're not going to have this fight in the answer document. We've already put forth our countersuit. And as I promised, we can skim through a lot of these. Now it switches over from the merger agreement to the debt stuff, the financing stuff. Legal conclusion, we refer the court to the debt commitment letter and equity commitment letter. Because remember, in Twitter's lawsuit, one of the problems that they have is not just with Elon Musk backing out or causing these other problems, but saying as part of his entering into the agreement that he didn't have a financing issue and that the provisions on the financing side of things were pretty ironclad. And I tend to agree with Twitter in that description. Here, the answer that Elon Musk and his team primarily give is go read those letters, go read those financing documents uh, as a court, because you don't have to just take their word for it. Uh, And when there are characterizations, which aren't happening as much in these paragraphs, we deny the allegations. Uh, except to admit that Musk did sell certain of his Tesla stock to finance the acquisition, uh, right? We, we're denying how this went. We're denying your characterization of me as a crazy person that's desperately trying to get out of a deal as his Tesla stock goes down the hole, uh, but we can admit to the actual things that happen, right? The margin loans speak for themselves. We deny the other allegations. Uh, and then we get some interesting stuff. The market turns. So Twitter, remember, is saying, oh my God, Tesla dies. He doesn't have enough shares to sell to actually justify his margin position. And so he starts to freak out. Within a week after April 25th, 2022, the date the merger agreement was executed, Musk elected to sell 9.8 million Tesla shares to finance the merger at prices as low as $822.68 per share, substantially below their pre-Twitter signing price of $1,005 per share. So Elon Musk and his team says, well, we admit the allegations of paragraph 60 only insofar as the fact that we sold 9.8 million Tesla shares at various prices and published a tweet on April 26, 2022. He said no further Tesla sales planned after today. We respectfully refer the court to that tweet 
And everything else is a legal conclusion that we don't have to answer. But if you think we did, we deny the remainder of the allegations. So you, you get these kinds of answers that say, yes, we can admit to this number here, this number here, this number here. But everything else is denied when you're referring to me as desperate or doing these things out of this specific motivation or that. Uh, we admit to the allegations in paragraph 61 to the extent that we entered into a new equity commitment letter on May 24th, 2022. Uh, and then we otherwise deny the remainder of the allegations. Uh, we deny paragraph 62 in its entirety, which is interesting. Musk remains personally responsible for $33.5 billion of the approximately $44 billion required to complete the transaction. They deny the allegations entirely. I suspect on the premise that Elon Musk would have an equity syndicate set up, not just a loan one, for people that would enter into the transaction with him so he's not quote unquote personally responsible. But whereas they had the option to kind of give additional color to a denial like this, in every instance that I saw, Elon Musk has primarily uh, said, no, we're not going to add that additional color. We'll fight it out in court. Musk wanted an escape. Paragraph 63 purports to characterize the merger agreement, which speaks for himself. Otherwise, we deny the allegations. So whenever you have that kind of language that Twitter added into their lawsuit, you get this kind of denial of allegations. Except insofar as they quote from Twitter's SEC filings, which speak for themselves, uh, defendants respectfully refer the court to those filings. Defendants deny the allegations in paragraph 65. To the extent that Twitter asserts that it undertakes a rigorous daily process using human reviewers to estimate spam or false accounts remaining on its platform after automated filtering and manual review. This is one of those snarky answers, right? So Twitter is trying to establish for the court that they do what they are supposed to do to figure out what the MDAU, that monetizable daily active user concept is. And so they put forth in their paragraph. In addition to deploying automated and manual processes that suspend on average more than a million suspicious accounts each day, the company undertakes a rigorous daily process using human reviewers to estimate spam or false accounts remaining on its platform after automated filtering and manual review. So they deny the allegations, which aren't really an allegation. It's a statement of, of Twitter. Uh, they deny it. Twitter says they undertake a rigorous daily process. BS, says Elon Musk and his team. And we know that that is, in fact, their overall stance because that is the countersuit that they brought. That is the premise on which it rests is that, no, they aren't doing enough to check these numbers. And that's part of the lies that they put forth in their SEC documents. I don't think that's their stronger case uh, against some of the other things that they have going on, particularly whether or not the information that they needed was actually provided to them by Twitter. Uh, and some of the allegations they make in that countersuit, such as Twitter creating a fake uh, fire hose and giving them only access to that. If that kind of thing is true, I think Twitter could find itself having a bad day. Uh, but ultimately, these are kind of the funny answers that you can get in one of these documents. No, no, no. They, they aren't rigorous at all, Your Honor. We just want to make sure that that's clear. That's obviously a legal fight to be had as part of this uh, particular set of lawsuits. Uh, but it is a funny answer. And we deny everything else that might otherwise uh, impact us. Uh, go check out their SEC filings. Go check out our tweets. Defendants admit the allegations in paragraph 67 only to the extent that Musk was aware that Twitter disclosed that less than 5% of Twitter's MDAU consisted of bots and spam on the day that he sent that tweet on April 21st. So Twitter here is trying to establish that Elon Musk was aware that there was a bot problem. Right on April 9th, 2022, the day Musk said he wanted to buy Twitter rather than join its board, he texted Taylor that purging fake users had to be done in the context of a private company because he believed it would make the numbers look terrible, which is something that he admits to in his countersuit and says it was still worth the pain if these numbers were small enough. They're trying to slice the onion very thinly uh, there. And at a public event on April 14th, Musk said eliminating spam bots would be a top priority. And he put out a tweet that says, if our Twitter bid succeeds, we will defeat the spam bots or die trying. And what he answers is effectively, yeah, 
I said those things. We, we admit that we said those things. But for the most part, what we admit to being aware of at the time is that you told us it was less than 5%, right? Spinning that back around on what Twitter's claim is and trying to make Elon Musk's case again. Defendants admit that he stated that eliminating spam accounts would be a top priority, but all in the context of it being less than 5% of MDAU. And then we get back to kind of the normal stuff that we had seen before. The contents of Musk's offers speak for themselves. We deny the rest of the allegations. On May 5th, 2022, Musk announced that he had raised an additional $7.1 billion of equity commitments from these various crew members, Oracle Chairman Larry Ellison, Sequoia Capital, Anderson Horowitz, all very fancy, very uh, well-resourced individuals. Uh, Twitter then characterizes them as sophisticated market participants who made these commitments in the face of Musk's public statements regarding spam accounts and knowing that he had forsworn due diligence. Uh, And that's its own issue. But Elon Musk says, we admit the allegations in the first sentence of paragraph 69 where we collected that money from various uh, equity fellows, but we lack knowledge of information sufficient to form a belief as to why they invested with us, what that actually related to. Uh, about forsworn diligence or what have you. We further lack knowledge sufficient to admit or deny the allegations in that sentence because of that, and we deny everything else. We deny the allegations here in paragraph 70, except to admit that Musk's advisors have requested information regarding MDAU and false or spam accounts. Paragraph 70 here talking about as the market declined, Musk's advisors began to demand detailed information about Twitter's methods of calculating MDAU. And so they say, well, It's not about that stock price decline, but we're fully happy to admit that we did ask for this information that we are continuing to say now in lawsuit form that you didn't provide to us. Uh, Among the topics of discussion were MDAU and spam related subjects. In advance of the meeting, Musk's bankers circulated an agenda with items related to users on the Twitter platform, including how do you estimate that fewer than 5% of MDAU are false or spam accounts? This is the question that is used predominantly throughout Musk's countersuit and saying, this is what Twitter knew we were looking for, and they never, ever provided us the data to address it. So defendants admit the allegations in the second and third sentences of paragraph 71. Yeah, we're perfectly happy to say we had this meeting and that we otherwise asked this question because that's the premise on which our own lawsuit lies, and we deny everything else. We further admit the allegations in the first sentence of the next paragraph. Following up on or about May 9th, Musk's bankers at Morgan Stanley added entries to their diligence tracker requesting user-related information, including a request for a user database containing key metrics, including but not limited to number of users, number of verified users, number of monthly active users, number of handles, etc. Neither Musk nor his advisors said what had prompted these requests or identified new information regarding spam or false accounts. Nothing had changed about Twitter's estimates. Nonetheless, in the spirit of cooperation, Twitter responded on May 12th with data sets and written descriptions of its audience metrics. Defendants deny the allegations in this paragraph, except to admit that Twitter provided certain materials on May 12th. Early on May 13th, in advance of a diligence meeting that had been scheduled to discuss the data Twitter had provided, Musk tweeted without any advance notice to the company that the Twitter deal is temporarily on hold. They admit that they sent that tweet, send the court over to that tweet, and deny everything else related to the paragraph. Twitter proceeded with the May 13th diligence meeting, which lasted for about two hours. We lack any information or belief regarding whether Twitter was cognizant of its obligations cognizant of its own obligations. That's how they set up the meeting. But we do acknowledge that we did have a meeting that took place on May 13th, lasted about two hours, and Twitter explained its daily sampling process. Defendants admit the allegations in paragraph 75 that Musk published two tweets about the random sampling and denied the rest of the allegations. 
and that we then sent a tweet on May 14th to deny the rest of the allegations. Uh, this paragraph about whether we violated our obligations regarding public comments or legal conclusions, we're not going to answer those, but we deny the rest of the allegations. When you then have the CEO talking about their process, uh, we say, hey, that's purporting to characterize what he actually tweeted out. So check out those tweets, check out those SEC filings uh, yourself. Uh, we then responded with a quote unquote disparaging tweet. So if you've been following along, you already know what's going to be said here. But if we look at the tweet, this is actually one of my favorite answers, just in terms of raw humor. It was humorous what it was presented in the lawsuit. It is Elon Musk sending a poop emoji in response uh, to uh, Parag Agrawal's uh, explanation for how they sample uh, to determine who's fake and who's spam out of their MDAU numbers. He sends this poop emoji and their answer to this being included in the lawsuit is as follows. Defendants admit that Musk tweeted on May 16th, 2022 and respectively refer the court to that tweet for a complete and accurate description of its contents. Now, this is boilerplate, right? We've seen this answer already 70 times before in just this answer document. But in the context of a cartoon picture of a poop, actually telling the court as your answer that we refer you to that tweet for the complete and accurate description of its contents. I don't know. You know, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's the lawyer and me reading through 165 pages of material for all of this uh, that's just lost it. But I couldn't help but laugh. And I actually laughed out loud at that particular response because it's like, Your Honor, what do you see here? Uh, Mr. Musk, I see a cartoon poop. Exactly. All right. The remainder of paragraph 79, which again is a single sentence that we sent this tweet, asserts legal conclusions and therefore does not require a response to the extent any response is required. Defendants deny the remaining allegations in paragraph 79. And you know why these two sentences exist at all? It's because of this word disparaging. Because if he is disparaging the company, if he is disparaging someone at the company like the CEO, it's possible that he runs afoul of some of the provisions of the merger agreement. And those, as asserted by Elon Musk and his team, are legal conclusions. That's what we're fighting about here in court. So you get out of this single sentence and this singular picture of a poop emoji, you get three sentences in response that, as a lawyer, to me, are absolutely hilarious. So thank you for adding to the humor level of my day, Twitter and Elon Musk. As the market continued to fall, Musk persisted in his public and misleading attacks on Twitter's handling and disclosure of spam or false accounts. In another tweet on May 15th and a statement at a technology conference on May 16th, Musk made the baseless claim that fake users might account for as much as 90% of Twitter's users. Defendants, Elon Musk and his team, deny the allegations in the first paragraph of paragraph 80. That's why this is highlighted in red, that we persisted in public and misleading attacks. And furthermore, we deny that any of Mr. Musk's statements were baseless. So this is actually kind of substantive uh, refutation here, even though we're otherwise talking about tweets and statements. And we say, hey, go look at those yourself, court. They speak for themselves. Don't take their characterizations, uh, etc." Uh, similarly, hey, we sent something on May 17th. It's legal conclusions. We deny legal conclusions, except we admit that the defendants uh, were wrote, written to between May 16th and May 20th. Uh, we admit that we requested the fire hose data. We deny everything else that's in the paragraph. We admit the allegations in paragraph 83 that the data Twitter provided was not sufficient for defendants to perform the analysis Twitter knew that defendants intended to perform, right? They're trying to cast Twitter as understanding what Elon Musk wanted and nevertheless hiding that data from him. So when they say, look, we told you that even if we give you this fire hose, you're not going to be able to do the analysis you want to do. They say, yep, we agree. 
we are admitting the allegation that you told us that you knew that what you were giving us was not sufficient to what we wanted to do, which is fine and wins Elon Musk the case potentially if the court determines that Elon Musk had a right to go and do this analysis on his own. That's where the rubber hits the road and where the fight will be held. Is, is this information that is being requested legitimate under the sections of the merger agreement? And was Twitter obfuscating and providing that information? Twitter says no. Elon Musk says yes. It's fun to be a judge, kids. That's what is going to happen in this case uh, or beforehand if there's a settlement. On May 21st, 2022, Twitter hosted a third diligence session with Musk's team and yet again discussed Twitter's processes for calculating MDAU and estimates of spam or false accounts. Twitter also provided a detailed summary document describing the process the company uses to estimate spam as a percentage of MDAU. Now, these are two different colors highlighting this paragraph because we'll admit the first part. Yep, we had another session with you. We deny that it was useful. So we had another session in the first sentence. Twitter says, hey, we provided a detailed summary describing this whole process. Yeah, we had a meeting. No, it wasn't useful. Paragraph 85, legal conclusions deny the allegations. Next paragraph, we admit the allegations that diligent sessions were held, but we deny everything else. Uh, we do agree that we sent a letter to Twitter on May 25th, 2022. We deny everything else, including characterizations that those letters were aggressive. Uh, the first sentence here of this next paragraph is a legal conclusion. We admit the allegations set forth that the data Twitter provided was not sufficient for defendants to perform the analysis Twitter knew the defendants intended to perform. So they've got that sentence on the ready. It's a macro of some associate who's putting together this answer document. And yeah, they are ready to say, yep, we acknowledge that you gave us data and you told us that the data wasn't actually an answer to what we had requested. Thank you so much. Twitter provided a response on May 27, 2022, and we lacked the knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as to the allegations in paragraph 89 regarding the difficulty and risk of providing certain data to Twitter. Twitter characterizes this as difficult stuff to put together. We have no idea. We acknowledge we sent a letter on these dates, on this date. We deny everything else. Uh, we lack the knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as to the allegations regarding Twitter's commitment to the deal. They've characterized their own as steadfast in its commitment to consummate the merger. Hey, we don't know about any of that. Uh, we do acknowledge we sent a letter on this date and we deny everything else in this paragraph. We sent a letter on this date and we deny everything else. Uh, we uh, acknowledge we sent a letter on this date and that everything else is a legal conclusion that doesn't require a response. And those legal conclusions and other kind of things that they don't want to answer are that Twitter characterizes the request for MDAU information as highly unusual in the context of good faith efforts towards completion of any merger transaction and absurd in the context of this one, which has no diligence condition, right? Twitter is hitting that button hard, even though they know that this company isn't being bought as is. Yes, we sent a letter this date. We otherwise deny. We admit that Twitter provided us with certain data and that the data was insufficient for us to accurately assess the number of spam or false accounts. As you will note in our other answers, Twitter had warned us about, so they weren't responsive to our information request. That's all setting up for that's their breach of the deal. Defendants admit that Twitter proposed a meeting with Musk on June 21st and that Musk was unable to attend that meeting. Defendants lack knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as to the allegations regarding Twitter's executive state of mind in respect of that situation. They're trying to frame Elon Musk as acting in bad faith, that he doesn't want to consummate this deal as early as a couple of months before he actually terminates it in early July. He's skipping meetings, all these various other things. We saw in the countersuit that Musk presented in our earlier video that his main claim there is that he knew that they would be fruitless because they weren't getting the data they needed to actually evaluate what was important. 
Again, reasonable minds can differ as to who has the right of that particular conversation. Defendant admits the allegations in paragraph 99 that defendant's counsel sent a letter dated on June 29th, 2022. We otherwise deny. And then we get to paragraph 100. On July 1st, 2022, Twitter pointed out just how far beyond the scope of section 6.4, that's their information provision requirements, defendants' requests had strayed. Nonetheless, Twitter noted that it was providing yet more information in response to recent requests and would continue to devote the time and considerable resources necessary to respond to outstanding requests. Twitter also explained that it had placed no artificial throttling of rate limits. In follow-up correspondence, it became clear that the limit Musk had bumped up against was not the result of throttling, but a default 100,000 per month limit on the number of queries that could be conducted. Defendants admit that the allegations in paragraph 100 that Twitter's counsel sent a letter dated June, July 1st, 2022 and follow-up correspondence uh, were true, but you should look at it yourselves, court. Defendants lack knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as the allegations in the second and third sentences. Those are the ones highlighted up here. Defendants admit that the reviewers hit the artificially imposed rate limit in approximately two weeks and that Twitter only raised the limit upon defendants' request. Defendants lack knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as to the allegations regarding what most paying Twitter customers would get. So they say, hey, we increased it to more than 100 times what most paying Twitter customers would get. We don't know about any of that, Your Honor. We do know that we hit a bump and that they didn't change it until we asked them to change it. Defendants admit that Musk raised questions regarding Twitter's methodologies. To the extent that paragraph 101 refers to written correspondence, defendants respectfully refer the court to such correspondence. We deny all the allegations in 102 where they accuse us of trying to tank the deal. With respect to financial information, we've got legal conclusions for those sections. We admit that allegations that there were discussions between Twitter and Bob Swan, who was involved with debt financing. Uh, and we admit that we sent a letter on June 17th, but deny completely the allegations in the third sentence, which says, this demand is extremely unusual in merger transactions and neither in conveying the demand nor at any time since have defendants pointed to a request from any lender that would justify it, which is the financial modeling for the company. Presumably that answer is suggestive of the fact that they have talked about it and tried to justify why that request is being made. We then have Elon Musk admitting that he was interviewed by Bloomberg with respect to some of these paragraphs, but otherwise setting out his legal conclusions. Answer, uh, Twitter provided certain of its financial information to defendants he's willing to admit to, uh, but that we lack knowledge to form a belief as to whether or not consummating a merger agreement involves substantial effort or resources on the part of the seller, which is just a little bit petty, a little bit catty. Yes, of course, a giant merger agreement and merger process requires a lot of effort and resources on the part of the target, as it does on the part of the acquirer. But we lack information on that, Your Honor. Who knows how hard Twitter has had to work on this? It's not uh, within our minds, which is true to a point, but it is a funny answer. Musk's distortative public statements about the deal and his increasingly aggressive information demands through counsel raised Twitter's suspicion that he was secretly abandoning efforts to finalize the committed debt financing in time for a prompt closing. Defendants lack knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as to the allegations in that sentence, right? So if you actually look at it, there's a bunch of things that you could react to if you're Elon Musk. Distortative public statements, increasingly aggressive demands, etc., etc. But the actual function of this sentence is that Twitter's suspicion was raised. So their answer is a little bit more demure. Uh, we don't know. We don't know what Twitter's suspicion was. We don't know what might have raised it. Uh, we otherwise deny the allegations in this paragraph, but who knows what Twitter's thinking. 
Defendant admits that Swan, that was part of their financial team, withdrew from merger negotiations and that Musk sought financial information necessary to securing financing for the merger. Defendants deny all allegations moving forward on this. We admit that we sent letters on specific dates. Uh, We recommend that the court look at the full text of the text messages. We deny the characterizations of this new individual as a Musk confidant. Uh, legal conclusions, legal conclusions. We do acknowledge that we did not give consent to a retention plan for the employees. We saw in that countersuit that Elon Musk is at least claiming that he thought it was too lavish and would reward the mediocre and not just the top line items. Uh, everything else that we've got here speaks for itself. We don't have the ability to uh, have information as to whether or not the non-consent to the retention plan affected employee attrition at Twitter. So we can't attest to that. And then on the revolver, the loan facility that Twitter manages, we can't otherwise say that that's costing Twitter money. We don't know. That's not our job, but we will admit that we didn't otherwise consent uh, to getting rid of it. And defendants admit that on July 8th, 2022, they terminated the merger agreement. This is a little rhetorical sleight of hand, right? Because Twitter says in their paragraph that they purported to terminate the merger agreement. Their lawsuit actually says the merger agreement is still live because Elon Musk doesn't have the right to terminate the agreement, primarily because he's already in breach, which prevents him from terminating the agreement for any number of reasons. And instead, the answer is, yep, they got that right. We did, in fact, terminate. It's not what they actually alleged. So a little sleight of hand here. Uh, in this particular paragraph of answers. Uh, We admit the allegations in the next paragraph that we sent a termination notice, but otherwise deny everything else. Legal conclusions. uh, We admit that Twitter provided us with certain information that we had requested, including the Firehose API, and that we further admit to having examined that information. We deny the other allegations, uh, except to admit that rate limits were eventually raised after we asked for them. We lack knowledge or information sufficient to admit or deny that allegation that Twitter requested certain information of its own bankers. That's not us. We don't know. These documents speak for themselves. Legal conclusion, deny. Legal conclusion, deny. Except that we admit that we have claimed that Twitter has breached uh, certain of its obligations. Uh, We admit the allegations in the second sentence of paragraph 133, where Twitter says, yes, we let some executives go and we were pausing most hiring. That's the hiring freeze they have referenced. We don't know anything about whether the hiring slowdown or reduction in its recruiting staff constitutes a small segment of their employee base, but we otherwise acknowledge that Twitter has gone through uh, with those reductions in the retention staff. Defendants admit that Musk has made certain comments regarding Twitter's employees and expenses that he refused to consent to Twitter's proposed retention program, again, admitting to what he's already admitted. Legal conclusions deny, legal conclusions deny, legal conclusions deny, etc., etc., etc. Here's the Chuck Norris tweet uh, and the tweet that talks about getting them to go to court. He says, yeah, you can look at those tweets, uh, court, but you can check them out for yourselves. You don't have to take the characterization that Twitter put upon them. I do think this is a kind of bad look for Elon Musk. We talked about that when we looked at the Twitter lawsuit itself, which is it does look like he is using the legal process in potentially uh, a negative way. And you could find a court or a judge that says, hey, that's that's unclean hands, right? You're doing these various things that you shouldn't otherwise be allowed to do, and that might come back to bite you, especially if they don't like Elon Musk's personality, which is admittedly wildcard-esque. We deny all of the allegations in paragraph 141, which said, for Musk, it would seem Twitter, the interests of its stockholders, the transaction Musk agreed to, and the court process to enforce it all constitute an elaborate joke. We do not admit that it's all just an elaborate joke to us. Go check out our tweets. And when you say it, our conduct simply confirms that I want to escape the binding contract I freely signed and to damage Twitter in the process, we deny all of those allegations. As for irreparable harm, 
the power through which the court could actually force this deal to consummation. That's legal conclusions. We deny legal conclusions. We deny. And then we get into the one cause of action, breach of contract, and you can force the deal. It's all legal conclusions all the way down, right? Then you get to a section. Those are the answers. As I promised at the top of this video, not super interesting insofar as they very rarely go and actually combat one of the allegations made by Twitter against Elon Musk. This is a very neutral way of putting forth those answer documents. We will see a more robust fashion of answering those kinds of things in general from Twitter's own response, which at 127 pages is 40 so odd pages of actual answers to what Elon Musk has accused them of doing complete with an introduction, but you'll have to wait on that for the next video. The last part of the document that Elon Musk filed in respect of his countersuit are so-called affirmative defenses. These are the reasons that outside of everything else you should find for us or find against Twitter because as the first affirmative defense, hey, they can't bring these claims against us because they have unclean hands. They did bad things. They committed bad acts. So as an affirmative defense, I should be allowed to walk away from this deal because they're the bad actors, your honor, not me. Second affirmative defense, the terms of the agreement, the merger agreement itself says we can do these various things. I negotiated for a right to terminate. And because of that, I should have the right to terminate. Similarly, contractual obligations. Then you get into waiver, latches, quasi estoppel. Hey, they were doing bad things. They dragged us into this whole circumstance. And if they had been honest, we wouldn't be in this situation. So because they acted in a way to prevent me from otherwise getting out of the deal or from signing the agreement in the first place, they should be prevented from doing these various bad things against me, like suing me to force me to spend $44 billion. Also, the deal was fraudulently induced, according to Elon Musk, right? And we saw that in his countersuit writ large. They were lying about their SEC filings. And if they're lying about their SEC filings, then there wasn't a meeting in the minds as to what this company actually was. So I was induced fraudulently to signing a deal that I would not have signed if I knew the truth of their SEC filings. Again, reasonable minds can differ on that kind of stuff. I think they have some strong arguments and many weak arguments that go along with those things. And I talked about those in the immediately prior video in this series. Then you've got some more equitable concepts, right? They have an implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing. They can't mess around with the loopholes and the little edge cases of the language they put forth in the merger agreement in order to do something like this. Again, most of these are just throwing the boilerplate at the wall. Maybe a court would find on some of these issues, but probably not. Probably all of the argument lists lives in the lawsuit originally filed by Twitter and the countersuit filed by Elon Musk says there's a lack of injury and a lack of causation. That's at least an interesting concept. Is Twitter actually damaged by any of this? Twitter has put forth that putting them in limbo in this fashion has damaged them. Uh, but does that actually damage Twitter? Does it damage its stockholders? Is it something else? You see that in these other affirmative defenses. Plaintiff's claims are barred because Twitter has suffered no losses and is not entitled to recover losses suffered by third parties including but not limited to its shareholders, which raises a secondary question, which is the shareholders, can they bring an action against Elon Musk for reducing the value of their shares? And we've already seen a lawsuit filed on that and we'd be following it, but we can only file, we can only follow huge, massive lawsuits uh, at one at a time or, or at least one subject matter at a time. So we'll be looking at that and seeing if that goes anywhere. Uh, but it's one of the affirmative defenses here. Twitter itself as a company isn't harmed, even if the value of its stock otherwise was. And finally, you just throw it, hey, maybe they failed to state a claim. Maybe there's nothing legal that the court can do here because the court lacks the power. Don't think that's a winner either. But those are the kind of standard affirmative defenses you would put forth in a broken deal contract type claim like this. 
And so we are done another hour or so in with the 165 pages of Elon Musk's countersuit against Twitter. Now, as promised, as referenced in this video, we do already have a filing from Twitter that purports to answer Elon Musk's countersuit claims, much like we just saw in these answers that we went through this video on. I will be covering that, hopefully, in this space in virtual legality soon, uh, but that is another 127-page document, so I gotta steal myself to go through another one of these. That is, by the way, if you saw earlier Hangouts and Headlines on this channel, part of what Gizmodo wrote about in their article where they claimed all sorts of things about Twitter obliterating Elon Musk, which I caution against in any multi-billion dollar deal and legal documents of phrasing things in these documents, these answer documents, these countersuits uh, in that particular way. But we'll take a look at it pretty soon. Let me know what you think of this answer document, Elon Musk countersuit, Twitter standing, and more. This has been Virtual Legality for Today. As I mentioned at the top of this video, we do support this channel with uh, the support of viewers and listeners, subscribers, and otherwise like you. I do want to recommend checking out those platforms if you're at all interested in doing so. And giving again my special thanks to Opal Studded Dagger for supporting the channel month after month. I really appreciate it. If none of that seems attractive to you, just consider subscribing to the channel, telling your friends that we're in existence here on YouTube or in podcast format, upvotes, heck, even downvotes comments and other engagement every little bit helps if you did watch this on youtube thank you so much for watching and if you listen to it as a podcast thank you so much for listening and i will catch you on the very next episode of virtual legality virtual legality is a youtube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only it does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship if you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.